Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Today's scripture reading is taken from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11-13. through 13. We'll be reading from the New King James Version. This is the faithful saying, For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. You may be seated. God is good all the time. I want to thank everybody for partaking in the trunk or treat last night. I hated to miss it, but uh, I understand a good time was had by all. Stephanie received a text from a friend who visited last night, and she said, I finally figured out what a cakewalk was. And Stephanie said, well, did you, did you participate? She said, no, but I tell you what, those people sure take that cakewalk seriously. <laughs> so I, I thought, well, if you only knew the type of cakes that are made, they're very good. So thank you to everyone who made one and gave it for that purpose. Uh, the giant redwood trees out in California are considered the largest living trees on earth and tallest in the world, some of them over 300 feet high, and some estimated to be over 2,500 years old. Now, you might think that they would have a tremendous root system that reached very deep into the earth, sustaining them and stabilizing them so that when storms come and winds blow, they stand as they continue to do. But actually, their root system is rather shallow. But the way that the roots are, are, are ordered is they intertwine with the next tree and the next and the next. So that when those storms and those winds come, they actually pull together in order to protect one another. Which is really a beautiful illustration of how the church should work. But in addition to us as Christians being bound to one another so that we have strength, so that we sustain each other, ultimately our connection to Jesus determines our real strength. Because if we, as the body or as individuals, pull away from Him, we then become weak. Imagine this. Most of us, I know every week when Stephanie does grocery shopping, she gets a bunch of bananas, right? And if they're green, we wait till they're ripe, you know, because they just don't taste too good to us when they're, when they're green. Well, then you, you let them ripen, and then sometimes you forget that you got them, and they start getting a little brown, and then you go, ah, i got to make banana bread now, right? Y'all do that too, they get that color. Well, anyway, if you were to take, it, it, it's not rocket science, a, a, a very easy explanation. If you were to take one and just break it off from that bunch and leave them there side by side, and just watch, the one that is isolated is going to ripen quicker than the rest. That's because the rest are bound together, supporting, sustaining one another, whereas the one that is alone is maturing and then deteriorating quicker. 
because they too sustain one another, much like the church is meant to function, but we all being connected to Jesus. Timothy is receiving the final letter that Paul would ever write. And last Sunday, we looked at the circumstances of this writing. Paul has already endured one trial, and things just aren't looking good. Paul believes he is facing execution imminently. And in all the concern that he has being under house arrest, he's concerned for Timothy because there are teachers who are going about teaching false things, not to mention the added attention of persecution. Timothy is already, as we've gathered from the text, he's a little bit of a timid fellow. And maybe now seeing Paul in the state that he's in and some of the others in having endured what they endured, Timothy may be withdrawing. He may be separating himself a little bit. And so Paul wrote to encourage him, to try and lift him up, to try and remind him of what exactly it is that he believes. So I want to ask just a very simple question, and I want you to think about it uh, as we do this study. And the question is this, where are you? Where are you in relation to Jesus? Are you as close to Him as you'd like to be, as you could be? Or have you pulled away a little bit for whatever reason? I would imagine there are plenty of explanations as to why people pull away from the Lord. And everyone faces their own trials, everyone faces their own difficulties, but I promise if you will draw near to the Lord and to His people who will more than willing be ready to support and help if they know the need. And I'll tell you, with this congregation, we have a few who've told me, said, look, if you ever know of a need, call and let me know. And then you have some who are very good at, uh, at, at visiting and checking on other folks. And so some of us know what others are going through. But probably the worst thing that you could do is pull away from the Lord. And I believe this is further the point that Paul is going to illustrate here to Timothy in the passages that we're going to read together. So open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, if they're not already. And verses 1 through 7, the, the summation of what Paul says to Timothy ultimately is commit to something greater than yourself. Let's read verses 1 through 7 together. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's con he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must, first, must be first to protect the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. So we understand the three roles that Paul points out here, that of a soldier, that of an athlete, that of a farmer. Maybe you understand more than just one or two of them. Maybe you understand them all. 
many of you have served and you understand what it means to serve. You know, depending on the job you choose, it's not going to be easy. That you have signed up for a task. The check being made out to the nation with your life. And you know that if you go to places, if you're deployed, what you have right in front of you, the orders, the task, the mission, that is the focus. You can't worry about everything else because you have the mission right before you. And you do all this to please the one that enlisted you. In Timothy's case, it's God who enlisted him, who enlisted us all. As a soldier of Christ, there are things that obviously are in the peripheral of life and what we see and what we hear, but don't forget the mission. I think that's what Paul is trying to tell Timothy. Continue to be faithful to he who enlisted you. And all these other issues, they can definitely sidetrack you. They can definitely cause you to lose focus. But remember, as a soldier of Jesus Christ, you must endure hardship. It is not going to be easy. Secondly, an athlete. An athlete plays the game according to the rules. And if you don't, what happens? You can be penalized. If you don't, you can uh, be disqualified. You can just straight out lose. But the athlete and the soldier have two things in common. They put themselves in uncomfortable circumstances in order to achieve something greater. The soldier puts himself in basic training. The soldier puts himself in uh, stressful situations to build up in order to do the work. The athlete, the same way. Training after training, conditioning, dieting, all these things that go into it. And then when the day comes, you have to play by the rules. So Timothy, be the good soldier. Be the good athlete. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Now, it's not a sin to put yourself first sometimes. We all know people who don't do that. Everybody else comes first. And, and we love those people and admire them, but sometimes we want to say, you know what, take a little time for yourself. I mean, you're always doing stuff for them, for those, for that. I mean, take a little time for yourself. I want you to think about the second great commandment. Love the Lord your God as, excuse me, love your neighbor as yourself. If you're going to love your neighbor as you should, you got to first love yourself and take care of yourself. So the farmer, he takes of the first fruits of his crops. And so Timothy, and this is something that's very easy to do in ministry. It's so easy to focus on everybody else's need so much that you neglect your own faith. So much that uh, it's no longer service to God, but the drudge of all the tasks that you have to do. Jesus often made time for himself, going alone, isolating himself, just to have time to pray. There's nothing wrong with that, not in the least bit. These metaphors, each of them point to someone who's committed to something bigger than themselves and willing to sacrifice and endure challenges in order to accomplish a greater goal. If I'm focused on everything that I face, I can lose sight of what God wants. And so rather than being so self-absorbed, 
look to the Father, see what it is He wants, see what His will is, and when we buy into that will of God, we realize whatever looks like discouragement, whatever looks like failure, isn't. Because we are not serving ourselves, we are serving God. Let me make an illustration. I think the reason that many Christians don't talk to their friends and their neighbors and their families about Jesus is because you're afraid you're going to be asked a question you don't know the answer to, first of all. Secondly, you're afraid you're going to be rejected. It's not you who's being rejected. It's the gospel. Now, could we maybe do better at, at presenting it? Absolutely. But the thing is, if we look at it as this is God's work, He has left this work for me, I'm going to do it the best of my ability, then when a person says no, they're not saying no to us but rather to that which is presented to them. And a lot of Christians and a lot of preachers get very discouraged because we have this idea of success. But you can't take the world's ideas of success and failure and put it in the context of serving God. If you look at Paul's circumstances, he's in prison, everybody has abandoned him, he's facing execution. If we look at success and failure in those terms, we would say Paul's failed. But when we read it, we go, no, he's not. And why hasn't he failed? He was able to get to the upper echelons of society. In his letter to the Philippians, he told them that some of the household of Caesar are now brothers and sisters in Christ, and they greet the Philippians. As a matter of fact, Paul looked at his imprisonment, and he said, you know, this has turned out to be a far greater thing. It's allowed me to advance the word of the words of the Lord and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if we put on the work of God that we do the conventional wisdom of success and failure, we're going to be discouraged at every turn. We're not called to be successful. We're called to be faithful. Huge difference. Huge difference. If at the end of the day, nobody gives a hearing to what we have to say, if nobody cares much for our Lord and Savior, what matters is, have I been faithful to Him? You know, I went through some sales training early uh, after I graduated high school because I did some jobs in sales and marketing and all that stuff. And there was a saying, and with every no you get, you're just that closer to a yes. Now, that was meant to tell us, you know, you're going to be told no. Keep doing what you're doing, and, and the odds of probability is you're going to get yeses along the way. And that's a good way of looking at it, at least in those terms. But commit to something greater than yourself. We had a presentation at Rotary recently, and uh, our, our speaker on that particular day, uh, she was a performer. She had... Uh, bachelor in fine arts and was wanting to become a singer, I think, and be rich and successful and help people. But she wound up becoming a professor, head of a department, nonprofit leadership at Murray State. And what she realized, she told this story where she was living in New York at the time and she was doing her nonprofit work and performing. And she was meeting with a couple of her friends, having coffee, both, one of them was like a top sales rep for Reuters, another one was a top whatever, and she said they were making bukus of money. 
hand over fist, but they were both miserable. She said, I wasn't making that much money at all, but I was happy. She said the reason was that she found something greater than herself to commit to. And that's what you and I need to do. That's what Timothy needed to do. Remember that we have given ourselves to God the Father through Jesus Christ, His Son. We serve Him. And we do it faithfully. And sometimes when you do it faithfully, you wind up in a position like what Paul's in. It's not what we would envy in the world, but it is to say that it is a place that mimics the path of our own Lord Jesus Christ. He is the example of this commitment. Look at verses 8 through 10. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation of which is in Jesus Christ with eternal glory. So Paul says, if you look at me as a failure, you have to be willing to say that Jesus Christ was a failure too. He suffered hardship. He endured persecution. He was put to death. But the sufferings of Jesus... And the end result, his resurrection from the dead, what man looked at as defeat, as failure, God was using to bring life and hope. So yeah, God does work in mysterious ways. God does work through the mess of life. Imagine for a second, you're a Jewish leader in the first century. You've heard this guy Jesus preach. You've seen him work miracles, and he's really challenged the, the, the balance of power. And so you say, we need to have him put to death. So you're thinking if you have him put to death, you're going to put an end to all this heartache and trouble that you're seeing and, and the risk of losing your power and the risk of bringing Roman wrath upon Judea. So they said, we're going to put him to death and that'll solve the whole problem. And so they do. They falsely accuse him. They drag him out and have a trial, uh, an unlawful trial, a sham of a trial in the dark of night. And then they're taking him from there to Pilate and Pilate says, I have nothing to do with this. Take him to your king. The king has nothing to do with us. They take him back to Pilate and you know, just put him to death, crucify him. And so he talks to him and he sends him back. He's like, he's not done anything. So he washes his hands as if you could go, oh, I, I've got no guilt. You want it, so I'm going to give it to you. No, he was, the, he was the governor of that area. He was the procurator, the leader. It was his call. And yes, he had a lot of voices urging him to that end. So he orders him beaten. And they're still not satisfied. So finally he has him crucified. And they think, about time we shut that voice up. Now we can get on with life. But a few days later, people weren't silent any longer. Forty days later, after the Passover, something remarkable is happening right there at the temple. You thought you stopped him, but you really didn't. Man throughout all centuries in most societies has tried to stop 
the gospel from making progress. And they fail at every turn. They can take a preacher, they can take a group of Christians and put them all to death. But it doesn't stop that message. It didn't stop Jesus. It's not going to stop Paul. And Timothy, you follow this example. Because no matter what happens, the message will not stop. That's why we take verse 2. The things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who are able to teach others also. If I'm not in the picture, there are others who can pick up the torch and go forward with it. And that's the way that it should be. I mean, you look at the makeup of this congregation today. We now have elders and deacons who some of you remember when they were little boys. We have Bible study teachers who you remember were once upon a time little girls. Because we age, we rise up, and generations take that mantle, and we keep moving forward. And we do so because those who are our senior have left us an example of service. So now he illustrates the point with a poem, verses 11 to 13. And essentially, Paul says, take the risk, it's worth it. Following Jesus in those days, and maybe even today, is a risk. It's a risk that you may have to endure hardship, that you may have to, have to suffer. But this is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. So stop right there. When you take the risk, if you die with him, you will live with him. If you endure, you will reign with him. But if we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. So it doesn't depend on us, but it does. No one individual can stop the cart, but there's no one individual who's running the whole thing. It's the Lord and his will and the church, the worldwide. Dan, in his prayer uh, and remarks before the Lord's Supper, made the statement that, you know, around the world, what we did, others were also doing. So if you cut it off at one area, it's still over here. Take the risk, because if we died with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we'll reign with him. But if we don't, if we deny him, he'll deny us. And even if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. So, Timothy, things may get rough. Things may not be pleasant. But stay the course and pay the price because the benefits are worth it. I'll tell you a nice little story. I think you'll like this. A man took his wife and his mother-in-law to the Holy Land. And they went around seeing some of the different places that you read about in the scriptures. They went and they saw Mount Carmel. And this is where Elijah battled the prophets of Baal and where he prevailed. Then they went to uh, Megiddo, which in the Bible is Armageddon. It's a place. It's not an event. And a lot of blood was spilt here in this plain uh, where... People fought wars and where there were often conflicts. Then they go down to another valley where this is where David faced off against Goliath. So they're going around seeing all these places. They, they had planned to be there for a couple of weeks. And the mother-in-law passed away 
I woke up one morning, they were down eating breakfast, and she wasn't there, so the daughter went up to check on her mother, and she had passed away peacefully in her sleep. So they call for the undertakers, and they go and talk to them, and the guy says, well, we can bury her here if you'd like, and it's not that much. It's only about $150. Uh, that's for the burial. Of course, the plot, that's a little more expensive. Or we can, you know, fly her back home. Uh, but that'll be at least $1,500. So son's, the, the, the son-in-law said, well, you know, let's just take, let's take her back with us, fly her home. Sir, are you sure? I mean, it's $1,500 versus $150, give or take. I mean, that's a huge expense. He said, look, he said, years ago, there's a guy buried here and he rose and I just can't take that risk. So you calculate your risks. You make your best judgment. That's nothing against mother-in-laws. Come on. I've got one. She's all right. But we all calculate risk every day. And then we decide whether or not it's worth taking. Uh, it could be a route that we take driving. It could be going somewhere uh, or being with a person or investment, or whatever the case is. But we do our best to calculate it, and if it's worth taking, we take it. Now, this is a risk that if you take, despite what people say today, the whole prosperity gospel uh, and all those things, it may come with hardship. And it may not always be fun. But is it a risk worth taking? Well, if we died with him, we'll live with him. And if we endure, we shall also reign with him. I think it is. I think following Jesus is a risk worth taking. It does require something that is so unnatural to you and me. That is, it demands that we deny ourselves. What we always want, how we'd always like it, the way we'd always want to do things, we're told to submit those to God. We're told to lose our identities and not just be who we've always been, but to be that child of God. The risk is worth it, but it does come with sacrifices and it may come with hardship. But I promise you, if you do it, you'll be glad in the end that you did. So I ask you what I asked you at the beginning. Where are you? Are you connected to Jesus or separate from him? Christians, we only need to pray to the Lord and ask his forgiveness if we've separated. Those who have not yet become Christians, if you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you will verbally profess that, confess that, and be buried with Him in baptism, you will die with Him and then you begin to live with Him. That's the beginning point of our Christian walk. And if you've not done that, we'll be glad to minister to you whatever your need is. Just come to the front while we stand and sing.